Welcome to Zoom O'Clock with your host, Tessie Anthony de Nassau. This podcast brings you enlightening discussions with leading experts and public figures directly to your ears. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Zoom O'Clock with your host, Tessie Anthony de Nassau. Today, I have the great pleasure to introduce you to you a really, really good friend of mine and just a legend, Kweku Mandela. Hi, Kweku. Hi, how are you? Really good. Thank you so much for making the time. I know that you're so busy and always traveling and I really appreciate it. And it's so nice to hear your voice. It's a pleasure to hear your voice too. <laughs> so for everyone, let me introduce Kweku uh, to you. And uh, so for you to understand how incredible he is. His company, Out of Africa Entertainment, is one of the largest film and television production companies in Africa, having recently completed productions on Madiba, Maze Runner 3, and the Red Sea Diving Resort. Kweku executive producer acclaimed novel, The Bang Bang Club, into a feature film, which was released in early 2011. Kweku is currently a partner in the two new production companies, one being Romulus Entertainment, a production finance outfit based in New York, and Tudang Entertainment, a partnership between Kweku and his longtime collaborator Nabil Eldakin, based in LA. In mid-2009, he co-founded Africa Rising Foundation with his cousin Nabiba Mandela and their dream of changing Africa's image and fostering young leadership and partnerships around the world was started. He supports the UN Decade of Action for Road Safety and the Long Short Walk, a, a world walk for sa road safety in memory of his 13-year-old cousin, Zanani Mandela, who was killed in a crash two years ago. He old, he's also on the board of Global Citizen, Pioneer Works, and Chalice Theron, Africa Outreach Project, and a trustee of House of Mandela. Kweku's latest project include producing Margot Robin film Dreamland and Christopher Wall's directorial debut Georgetown, along with starting Gen and with Charlize Theron, oh la la, a collective of HIV AIDS organization committed to seeing the end of AIDS in our lifetime. Wow, Kweku, what an amazing biography. And there's, I'm sure, so many more things to talk about you. That's an old biography, so um, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned has changed. Um, well, let's roll with it. You know, I'm happy to talk about that. It's as well. Please let's see. Let's see I'm where we go. I have okay. I have prepared some questions for you, and um, to get us started, and then yeah, we see where the road takes us. So. Um, yeah. You grew up with exceptional people around you who certainly have inspired you. Your name Mandela brings up instantly the name of your grandfather and leadership legend Nelson Mandela. How was it for you to grow up with such a grandfather? It was challenging. Um, a lot of my early childhood wasn't spent in South Africa, it was spent in America. And I had a glimpse into what was going on um, around apartheid, but I was young, so I don't know if I fully comprehended it. Um, I think, you know, I've always been extremely proud of 
of my grandfather and what he fought for and, and the many men and women um, here in South Africa who went to prison or who were brutalized or were murdered. Um, but it was definitely difficult uh, growing up, you know, with a grandfather who ultimately belonged to not just the whole country, but in a sense, the whole world. Um, you know, I, I realize that now in my, my old age of quality time and, and being able to personalize um, experiences with your kids. And I'm sure, you know, if you have the opportunity to do it again, you would have. But, um, you know, ultimately, life led him down a journey of, of something that was bigger, you know, than just his immediate family. Um, you know, and he made choices that ultimately you know, affected a lot of people's lives. Um, I, you know, I was grateful to, to know him. I was grateful to, to be uh, in South Africa, you know, when things changed and when this country actually gained its, its true independence and freedom in 1994. And I'm excited about where it's going um, as a country and the, the opportunities that there are for so many people here. Um, and I think, again, that's because of the work of the many men and women who fought against the apartheid. Wow. I can only imagine. Talk, talking about your grandfather, um, as you know, your grandfather's name was changed to Nelson when he started to attend school by his teacher. His real name was Roly Flaffer Mandela at birth. Did he ever talk to you about how he felt when that happened? And also, why do you think he chose to keep, to keep that name for the rest of his life? You know, I think in South Africa at the time, um, it was commonplace to change people's native, uh, you know, indigenous African names and, and give them English names, so to speak. Um, and I think it's something that stuck with him and, um, you know, his friends and, and the people around him began to refer to him uh, by the name Nelson. But he never, you know, it's funny, the closest people in his life um, the Oliver Tambos, the Walter Sulus, my grandmother, Evelyn, Winnie, all called him Rolly Flafla. Um, that stuck. But again, I guess it depends on how intimately you know him. So the world knows him as Nelson. His family knows him as Rolly Flafla. Um, and it's interesting when you think about names. I, I know oftentimes when people try and pronounce my name they get it wrong um and that's just because you know they've not heard it before not spoken it i think that's a common thing that we share as humans right we don't always um spend the time and, and the effort to get to know each other's culture and so it can be difficult to grasp new ones um whether that be languages whether that be names uh, whether that be places and so you know, Nelson um, became this kind of universal name that he was known by. But I, I think, again, um, for the people that were really close to him, he was always Rode Saka. Wow, that is beautiful. That is a really beautiful story about the name. And it's true. People don't always take the time to get to know someone truly, you know, from where they're coming from, 
the culture, the customs, you know, how these people grew up, uh, how your friends grew up, you know, even, even friends, you don't always take the time to really get to know them in depth. Uh, and it takes a long time for you, for people to do, right? So I think, um, I think, yeah, I think that that's a separate topic. There's so much to talk about that. And we see that more as well. And I see that with my children as well. You know, everything, a lot of things have become so superficial as well with everything that goes on social and social media and everything. So, yeah. I don't think it's superficial. I think it's um, just a reflection of our society in this modern time. Um, and so for your kids, it's, it's normal, right? It's like writing in a notepad, right? Or, or sending a letter or, or phoning someone over a landline, you know, the way we did it when we grew up, it's just part of their lives. And yes, there are elements of it that are not, you know, I guess is as relatable as we want them to be. Right. And we don't feel that they hold the same weight and merit. Um, but it's, it's a new generation expressing themselves. And for that, I have to at least try and listen, I have to try and learn, I have to try and understand. Um, or else I'm no different than, you know, a critic. Uh, and it's so easy to be that in this day and age because there's so much out there. So I'm always kind of quick to not rush into making a judgment uh, about something that I, you know, don't really know intrinsically. You know, and I learn every day. And I usually learn from my younger cousins. I learn from my son. Um, that's the only way I can understand the world. You're very right. No, it's true. I am, I am you know, as a mom of four, um, my youngest being a bit more than one and the oldest becoming, having his 17th birthday next month. It's, yeah, I am, I am still struggling well I think as you say I'm learning every day as well um to find my way in understanding them and and seeing how I can you know how I can learn from them as much as they learn from me absolutely so uh talking no, about and you're amazing at it I think you know <laughs> I, look I always hear people I always hear people say and usually it's a generational thing it's like uh, you know, they changed this or they did this or things are changing and it's for the bad or for the worse. And it's like, yes, there's maybe, you know, a small truth to that. But change is not bad. You know, change brought us here where yeah. women have the right to vote, uh, you know, where people have a right to contest being invalidated, uh, being treated inhumanely. Um you know, you couldn't say that 100 years ago. Couldn't say that 200 years ago. And so we've evolved. Um, and, you know, some people want to embrace that. Some people want to keep it the same. Uh, ultimately, it's not really up to us. You know, at a certain point, certain age, um, your, your life, your impact, your kind of possessions and drive have to be transferred to something bigger than you. Um, or else, you know, you're you're just living by yourself as an individual, and you don't have any real connection to anything that's larger than you, whether that be the earth, whether that be, you know, the ocean, whether that be humanity, uh, in all its different forms and facets. 
Very true. Wow. Um, so let let me continue um, with another question similar to this, but um, going back one more time to uh, the past. With your grandfather, you probably, you know, you learned so much, right? As you said, we learn from our children, we learn from our parents, but we learn from our grandparents as well. What were for you the key lessons that you have been taught or told to um, or advised to? And which ones do you still keep and cherish today? There's so many, but again, I, I can't look at it in isolation of my grandfather because I know he was part of something that was bigger than just himself. Mm-hmm. You know, there were millions of men and women who gathered together to fight for something that they believed in, right? And they had to be extremely disciplined. They had to, you know, hold true to that belief that potentially one day they could be free, even though, you know, they, they dealt with the likelihood that they could die, uh, that their families could be threatened, that they could be erased from the memory of this earth. And what I take from all of those men and women um, is the need to stand up for yourself, the need to, to drive home your belief, but never be too stringent that you can't try and understand someone else's perspective, that you can't give someone time to listen, to understand, to take in and absorb what their world and reality may be like. Um, and you know, when you do that, you can find great things. You can find forgiveness. You can find empathy. You can find trust. You can find love. You know, sometimes you'll find hate. Um, but you can find new things that you never knew existed. And I think that's so important. Very true. And and um, taking that, then you are a dad, and congratulations again. I haven't met your little baby boy yet, um, but uh, yeah, I hope soon so they can both meet. Um, but uh, talking about your little baby boy, then what do you want him to learn from you and your family history? Whatever he wants, he likes. I can't predict what he'll take from me. Um, you know, I think like most fathers, you have hopes of, um, your kid just loving what he does, uh, and finding a purpose for his life. Um, but even if he wasn't to do that, you know, even if he was rebellious, even, you know, if he was disagreeable with the way I think one should live his life, it wouldn't stop me from wanting to care and love him and, and support him. Um, and so I, I don't really have a set list of things I want my son to do or learn from me um, or my family. I think those things are intrinsically within us or within our blood, uh, whether we like it or not. Uh, I just hope that he finds the things that he loves. I hope that he finds the things that he's passionate about. Um, that he's given a fair opportunity as a, young person in this world because uh, young people struggle you know they're they're often um, treated as you know they're seen but not heard right until a certain point until you prove yourself until you've earned it so you paid your dues um, you know the world shouldn't be like that in my view 
we should embrace new ideas, we should embrace new energy, we should embrace the opportunity to allow you know people that are maybe more connected and tethered to our societies and our communities uh, to be leaders. And we failed. We failed drastically in that. Yeah, very true. And that's also what I tell my sons, you know. They're not perfect in my view, what I would like them to be, but they're perfect in the view of they that they have of themselves, what they want to do, where they want to go, and uh, the ambitions they have for life, you know, um, their friends and their dreams. They're very different, which is really nice for me to see. And um, yeah, and sometimes... You know, as a parent, you don't always agree. And so, you know, my ex-husband and myself, we have different upbringings. And as such, you know, um, these conversations come up all the time. But I always try to give them the opportunity to just figure it out for themselves. And every morning when I, when I leave the house or when they leave the house or when we have a discussion, I always say, you know, you do what you want, but you need to think about it, make good choices and take responsibility forever you for, for whatever you you choose to do. And I think that gives them kind of like the freedom to explore, but also the responsibility, the feeling of responsibility on themselves to be the actors of their own lives um, as good as they can for the age that they are. Um, and how do you how do you deal with co-parenting? So I'm sure. You know, that has its challenges, but it also has, you know, a yeah. lot of positives. It has, it has certainly um, challenges, you know, um, well, we, we, we have separated for reasons and, you know, sometimes the past comes to haunt you and, you know, you're still mad uh, for certain things or they come up right in conversations. And it's just really important that you keep that, away from the kids I always I have seen couples who kind of like not because they want to put their children in the middle uh, of the fight and use them in some ways or, or another um, again not because they want to but it just happened and there I'm pretty conscious about it and I always try that that you know to be yeah to be really as good as I can with my ex-husband and really take decisions what is best for them and not because he wants to get back at me or I want to get back at him or we had a discussion about something else just before that. And so, um, yeah. I and think is there extra pressure because, you know, you come from a prominent family and you come from a prominent family and, and there's an expectation and people are, you know, kind of looking in? Of Of course. You know, I think also with the same with you, right? With your name, people automatically watch your every move much more closer than they would with Paul the neighbor. Right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I try and hide and, and go to far off lands. You know, I'm a big Star Wars and Star Trek <laughs> fan, so I meditate in my mind most days. You know, and uh, I'm in some foreign planet. Um, you know, and the water is rushing to my feet and there's no one around except like a little alien creature that I've never seen before. It looks like a penguin kind of mixed with a bird, kind of mixed with a cat. It's kind of weird, but you know, it, it brings something out in me when I go to those places. Um, so I try and go to them as, as often as possible. Meditation definitely helps. I do that too. Well, you know, I had a huge burnout, right? When I got divorced and everything got really messy in the media. So, um, and that is also something I help 
I actually try my children to that they find love for that because you know it's so helpful nowadays children have feel so much pressure when it comes to school and all kinds of things and not just the family pressure you know and people having expectations but also you know in everything else the competition at work and whatnot and um, I think meditation for me has certainly be a lifesaver and I hope that one day they will share this love you know I I you know I suddenly I introduce it sometimes at dinner I'm like oh you know I found that new meditation or this podcast so I kind of like give them always the opportunity to explore more but um, you know for right now they don't think it's uh, so cool Um, so yeah who knows but I think I will keep uh, hoping that that they will find meditation to be helpful as well once they really see the benefit for themselves Um, and yeah then we see where it goes huh so um But uh, so as an entrepreneur and leader, then yourself, um, you know, you created companies, you worked with companies, you sit on boards and everything. What inspired you to create Out of Africa Entertainment? I think a deep desire to see uh, African and young Africans that live on the continent and also live outside of it um, showcase and given an opportunity to both present and deliver, you know, the best they have and to be treated fairly um, in a world that often tries to make, you know, people that are different to them less. Um, that was the real reason that I think, you know, me and uh, my sister and my cousin, you know, and my brother uh, wanted to form and start African Rising, we really started just as a, a way for us to convene with friends and, and have conversations. And then from there, it kind of grew into, oh, maybe we should do an organization. Maybe we should do you know, some projects and campaigns. Um, you know, and we were successful in some areas and we failed in others. And I learned a lot um, through that. So, so, yeah, that's how African Rising started. So on that, do you believe that African businesses and the huge opportunity they bring are supported as well as American-created businesses? And what I mean with that is, you know, what can we learn from African entrepreneurs, which might not always be highlighted in your opinion? Well, business is business. So, you know, I, I don't think you can change the concept of the system and the structure of what that is, right? It's a trade for someone's time and effort usually um and the more effort you put in the smarter you are you know potentially the the more money you can make um i think you know african businesses are burgeoning at the moment there's lots of opportunity there uh some of them mirror what you know companies in the united states and around the rest of the world have done uh some of them don't it depends on who's running it. It depends on what their background, their faith, their tradition is. I, you know, I, I don't think there's much difference. Just the access and opportunity uh, that's afforded to companies in the Western world versus companies in Africa has been drastically different. Um, and there are many reasons why that is. If you ask statisticians, Advisors, 
Yeah, you have strategists, you know, they'll, they'll usually say that the infrastructure is not there, the resources are not there, you know, the, the transparency is not there. There's always, you know, some level of, of explanation from their point of view as to why that is. I think if you ask most, most Africans, um, it's a trend that we've seen throughout our existence as humanity. Um, is that oftentimes the nicest people, uh, the most humane people, the most loving people are taking advantage of. Uh, and I think that ultimately has led to you know, slavery and colonialism. Um, you know, we, we have a history that is selective, and so it only tells us so much. It only tells us so much usually from our own perspective, our own communities. So... Africa's had a real challenge telling its story uh, and telling it accurately and having people share it globally. Uh, that's changing now. And I think the more people are aware, the more people understand, the more appreciation they have for mm-hmm. this continent, they have for its people around the world. That is true. It's very nice. There's um, there's There are two questions I would like to ask on actually you know that that uh, lack of opportunity but also on more of the the historical aspects um there's let me start with one um morgan freeman famously once said in an interview to mike wallace around 20 years ago that he find black history month ridiculous he continued by asking the host which month is white history month he states that black history is american history what do you think of that statement It's entirely accurate Um, and goes to show the importance, I think, of knowing your history um, and also knowing what goes on around us. Um, But I'm not going to take away celebration of Black history from anyone. I think it's an important uh, milestone for a country like the United States. But, you know, Can you go further than that? And I think what Morgan Freeman talked about is um, how it objectifies Black people, how it kind of reminds people uh, of Black culture and does it in a way that is not always helpful. Um, You know, talked about the fact that I don't sit there saying, hey, you're you're a white person or hey, I'm a Black person. And maybe something that he didn't talk about in that interview was the fact that there's a system set up, right? So, like, you think about census that happen all around the world or in different countries to get demographics and understanding of who lives in what community, how much money they make, how old are they, you know, what race are they, you know, and and then it goes into what gender are they, right? There's all these confines that were created by society. Now, the persons that created them say this is helpful. This, uh, this allows us to be more organized, more effective. You know, uh, it allows us to have better information, better data, which is true. But does it allow us to be better human beings? Um, does it allow us to see through differences? Does it allow us to, to grow in a way where we don't objectify another human being or we don't compete with another human being? Or we don't feel jealous or threatened by another human being? Probably not. Um, but... You know, it's a society we currently exist in. 
Um, there are lots of people uh, in all walks of life who are trying to break that down. We're trying to change that because their very existence scares people. Their very existence threatens people. Um, and oftentimes when people feel threatened, they resort to violence. They resort to anger. They resort to hate. Um, you know, which is not good for, for any of us. So would you say then, um, talking about your industry, then, for example, the entertainment industry, right? Um, and talking about, we talked about the opportunity uh, for African uh, businesses in the world. Do you feel that racism is still a big problem in different industries? And if yes, how are you going to change that with the tools and advocacy that you have at hand? And what do you need? Racism is a big problem in, in the entertainment industry. Uh, you know, but it's a big problem in all of our society and in every industry that exists. Uh, as long as you have a group of people that control entire industries, uh, have an overwhelming control of entire industries, I think you're going to face that. Uh, it's how do you make things more equitable, how do you diversify things. And, and the entertainment industry has done a lot in you know, the last 50 years to begin to address uh, that imbalance. Uh, so I think, yeah, you can't take that credit away from them. Uh, in a sense, they've been pioneers in terms of shifting people's minds around how they think about um, other people, how they think about other cultures, how they think about, you know, other communities and, and tastes and feelings, you know, the list goes on and on. And ultimately, entertainment, you know, the word says it, you know, it's to entertain people um, regardless uh, of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their socioeconomic background. Yeah. Um, but then you can break that up and there's you know, different sides to that. I think the opportunity lays there for, for us to truly create something that actually listens to other cultures and actually shares other people's voices. Uh, and some companies have done better than others. Uh, you know, Netflix has done a really good job of investing and trying to, to mm -hmm. make local content something that's strong regardless of where it may come from in the world. Uh, you know, the music industry has been really good at doing that. You know, you think about the prominence of, of music from around the world and, and how a young kid in South Korea can be the biggest star in the world. Right or you know, a young kid from Nigeria, right, can, can be the biggest star in the world. Uh, you know, but sometimes you look at that and you say, right, it's it's too too little, right, and it could be a lot more. And so I think the entertainment industry is grappling with that, um, and it's a push and pull. We uh, see a lot of change that has come out of Me Too and Times Up. Uh, But at the same time, it hasn't eliminated the problems that existed from the start uh, because those problems were much deeper than any one person. Thank you for that. Uh, it's also it's it's a huge topic, right? You could you could speak uh, well months and years about it as there has already been. So um, if you would have a magic wand, then what would you like to realize for yourself? For your family or even the world in the near future? 
if I had a magic wand, I would make sure everyone learns about magic um, in the world. I think that you know is important for me because it would help lots of people get out of sticky situations. Um, you know, can't pay your mortgage? Don't worry, use that magic wand. Right, your car battery's not working. Use that magic wand. Your sex life's not good. Use that magic wand. So, <laughs> I would say, you know, probably too many things to to divulge right now around what I would use the magic wand for. But I'd want to share it with uh, as many people as possible. I know that. That is beautiful. That's the Quaker I know. Well, Quaker, thank you so much for your time and for your openness and just for your wisdom. I think you're an extraordinary human being and I'm really, really honored to call you my friend. So um, I let you go now and we keep talking okay. offline, but uh, thank you for your time. And I miss you very much. Cannot wait to see you in person again, hopefully soon. Well, I miss you too. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Zoom o'clock. We hope this discussion was insightful and has provoked some new ideas for you. Please share and subscribe. If you like to keep in touch with your host, you can find her on Instagram under Tessie underscore from underscore Luxembourg and on Twitter under Tessie underscore DE. <laughs>